Ephesians chapter 3, there we're going to cover verses 14 through 21, and the title of the study is A Powerful Prayer. And so when you read the title, you're like a powerful prayer, you usually you think of a petition, a powerful prayer, but you also might think even of a person, you know, a powerful prayer. Sometimes my wife and I, when we get done praying, I'll tell her afterwards when we're done praying, we get up off our knees or whatever, I'll say, hey, you're such a good prayer. And uh, that's kind of what I mean. When I'm talking about a powerful prayer, we're talking about something that Paul prayed in Ephesians a couple of times. This is the second one. But also just the fact, I'm sure, that he was a powerful prayer person, you know, that he had that area of his life, you know, um, not perfect, I'm sure, but it was healthy. And because of that, we see the fruit of his life. And so the outline for today, uh, first of all, we're going to see how Paul prays on his knees. I think we have an outline here. And so, um, you know, we're going to talk about the fact that you don't have to get on your knees when you pray, but there's something about that. And so he mentions that I'm on my knees. Secondly, we're going to see to whom Paul prays. Paul prays to the Father, and that's significant. And he writes that, you know. He doesn't just say, I prayed. He says, no, I'm praying to the Father. And there's a reason for that. And then number three, we're going to see for what Paul prays. And these are the four things uh, you're going to see that they build upon each other. First, he prays for God's strength. And, you know, when you're praying for your loved ones, do you guys have any friends or family members that maybe they don't know the Lord or some, in this case, it would be people who do know the Lord, but they need God to strengthen them? This is what this is all about. He, He prays for God's strength. He prays for God's home. And we're going to talk about how when Jesus comes into someone's life, how we need to make him feel at home. And then God's love, that will root you and ground you so you're not vulnerable or fragile or you don't fall away. And then the last thing is God's spirit. And when all this happens, you guys, God is glorified. Have you ever heard that saying? God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. And this is the type of people that God ends up raising up as a result of you and I uh, praying the way that we should. And so let's begin reading here in Ephesians 3, 14. Paul says, for, for this reason, I, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And so, first of all, for this reason, um, if you might notice in verse 1, he said, for this reason, So there is a parenthetical statement, and then he comes back to it for this reason. And so this is what happens here. And basically, what Paul is referring to is all that we studied in chapters 1 and 2. And so I encourage you guys, man, to read chapters 1 and 2. And in the beginning, you guys might remember, he said that as Christians, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Think about it. Everything. You're a Christian. Everything is yours. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. And then he goes on to say, then you're chosen by God. You're adopted by God. You're accepted by God. You're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And you are joint heirs of Christ. And you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. I mean, so as Christians, Paul is writing to the Ephesians to tell them how rich they are. Six times in the first three chapters, he mentions the riches of being a Christian, So there in chapter 1, you might remember, then he prayed. He prayed, God, I pray that these people would know, that they would see that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of them. 
So he prays for enlightenment, that we would see these things. Do you see these things? Do you see how that power lives inside of you if you're a Christian? Do you see that? And then he goes on in chapter 2, and he says, you've got to remember that at one time you were on that slippery slope without hope. You were headed for hell. But God saved you, and he didn't just save you from hell. He gave you heaven. You are seated in the heavenly places. And he goes on to say it's so simple, but it's, it's by faith. You know, by, by grace through faith, we're saved. And you are, it's not our works, he says, but you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them, that we're his poem. So it's not us here working to earn our way to, for salvation. No, Jesus died for you. He rose again. You believe on Jesus, then you're saved. So it's not me working. As a matter of fact, Paul says the opposite. It's God working. God is working in you. You're his workmanship. You're his poem. Because he has this amazing life for you to live for his glory. And he goes on and he talks in chapter two about how God has broken down the middle wall of separation. Now Jew and Gentile are reconciled. Every race and every place, God says as Christians, you're now united. And what an awesome work that God has done. So after reading this whole thing, he prays, first of all, in chapter one for enlightenment. But now he's going to pray for enablement. Now I want you to connect the dots. And now I want you to get out of church. I want you to go and live that life. Live the life. Be that man of God that does, God does miracles in. And it's interesting here because Paul is praying for the Ephesians just like we are praying for. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? This is what I'm talking about, how God is going to do this work. So he says, for this reason, all that's building up to this, I'm going to pray for you now. That it won't just be enlightenment, that it will be enablement, that it won't just be information, but that it'll be application. And so Paul prays. Now, just out of curiosity, would any of you here be interested in someone like Paul the Apostle praying for you? I mean, there's something about that that kind of sounds pretty cool, you know? Because not that he was a perfect man, but he had his theology right. He knew Christ was. He knew who he was in Christ. And I'm sure this guy prayed. That's what he says right here. For this reason, I bow my knees. There it says in verse 14, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if you can picture him there next to a Roman guard. Because remember, he's writing from prison. While he's on house arrest, maybe there's a chain. We don't know for sure. But here, there he is on his knees. Now, of course, we know it's not mandatory for us to pray on our knees. The Bible doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, frequently you'll read in the Bible of men praying while they're standing or praying while they're sitting. And so it's not a matter of that. That's not really the, the, the main thing. The main thing really is the posture of our heart, not the posture of our body. But having said all that, you guys know just as well as I do that there is something different when you get down on your knees. When you get on your knees and you pray with that posture. There's something about kneeling down, about falling down, about being there broken before God. And this is why Paul writes about that in his prayer. He says, I'm praying for you and I'm on my knees. He writes that, and he's, he's, just, he's just passionate about this. He loves the church. He wants the best for the church, and so he's praying for the church. 
You know, I was even thinking about how we get on our knees for different, you know, reasons. Uh, some of you guys, um, you got on your knees when you proposed to your girlfriend, right? Did you guys do that? How many of you girls had the guy get down on his knees when he when he proposed for you? Now, if you didn't get it on your knees, bro, what's up, man? You should have. <laughs> I mean, how can you propose to some uh, to this gal when you're not on your knees? I mean, you got to get on your knees, right? And so we see that. I think we have a picture even right here of you know what it typically looks like, right? And so you're you're asking, well, why why does he get down on her knees? You know why? Because there's something about this moment here that is passionate. There's something about this moment here that is special. There's something about this moment here that is holy. And that's why Paul is saying, as I'm praying, uh, I'm on my knees. Now, I know not everyone here is physically able to get on your knees. Uh, recently, I hurt my, my knee, so I'm not able to spend as much time there. But, you know, if you can, I encourage you to do that. The psalmist invites us to pray like that. Uh, for example, in Psalm 95, verse 6, it says, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. You know, that's what the psalmist says. And I was thinking about that man, Daniel, in the Old Testament. He was used by God in such a great way. He was there even as a young man in Babylon and then in Persia for 70 years. And you're wondering, what was it about this guy? What was it about this guy that was so amazing that people, when they saw him, they knew he was anointed by the Spirit of God? How did that happen? And I think it's because he was a man of prayer. As a matter of fact, one time they passed a law on the land. They said, no one can pray except in this direction. And Daniel said, oh, no, absolutely not. I'm going to pray in the right direction. And we read in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Now, we know that Daniel more than likely was taken to Babylon when he was probably 12 years old. And so when he was 12 years old, in Daniel chapter 1, it says he purpose in his heart that he wasn't going to defile himself with the king's delicacies. And you're like, man, what was it about this young man? And it was what well, we see right here. It was his prayer life. It was his prayer life. And that's why it's so important for us, you guys. And I don't want to be legalistic or anything. I don't want to be all religious, man. But you've got to spend time with God if you're going to see change, if you're going to see victory. And we see that in, in the scriptures. You know, Peter prayed on his knees in Acts chapter 9, verse 40, and a little girl was raised from the dead. Paul prayed on his knees with the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verse 36. He knelt down and prayed with them all. And again, when he was on his way to Rome, uh, he prayed in Acts 21, verse 5, with the women and the, and the children and the men. They knelt down on the shore. They weren't ashamed. They prayed there in the middle of the beach. And so for us, it's, it's, it's cool to read, for, for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A while back, there was a theological seminary in the city of Almani, and I remember we used to get these pastors from all over the world. Some would come from Indonesia. For whatever reason, I don't know if they advertised in those countries more so, but we got a lot of uh, pastors from Africa. And these are guys from Africa, from the, probably some of the most poorest places in the world, but they were godly men. And some of them would come to church here. And whenever they would come forward and they would ask for prayer for their wife back home or for whatever the situation was, we would always get in a circle 
And they caught me by surprise. But, you know, when I first uh, you know, started praying with them, I learned this is how they pray. And they would drop to their knees. And so imagine that you're holding you know, hands with someone and you've got your hands on their shoulders or whatever, and they just drop to their knees. Because they knew something that Paul knew, that there's something about, about getting on our knees that's special, that's holy. And so we see this in the scriptures, this attitude of bowing before God. We see, first of all, how he prays. And then secondly, we notice to whom he prays. Look at verse 14 again. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he writes this. He's praying to the Father. He's praying to our Father. And you guys know this, right? The Bible reveals God as triune, uh, one God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're all equal in essence and nature, but they're not in function and office. And what that means is the Father is the highest, even within the Godhead. The Son submits to the Father, just as the Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. And so Paul, in writing this right here, he, he, in one sense he's saying that he's, he's going to his knees, to the very bottom, in order to reach the very top. That's kind of what he's saying right here in, in praying to the Father. And, and this is how we should generally pray. You know, I don't know if you guys knew this or not. It's okay to pray to Jesus. It's okay to pray to the Holy Spirit. But generally speaking, we were taught to pray the, to the Father. You pray to the Father in the power of the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. And so this is how we should pray. This is how Paul prays right here that we have access now. We read that last week in Ephesians 3, verse 12. We have access to the top. We have access to the Father. We don't need to go through any other mediator except Jesus. We can actually go to the top. And I think that's pretty cool. Imagine that, knowing that in life, no matter what your situation is, no matter what your loved one's situation is, no matter what the church is going through, Paul here, he could... I'm praying to the Father. You know, imagine if you had an issue with your iPhone. How many of you have iPhones? I'm just curious. All right, so imagine you had a problem with it. And, you know, I don't know if that ever happens to you, but being able to go directly to the CEO, Tim Cook, he's like, hey, bro, what's up with this? Man, you better fix this, right? And he's like, he's the guy who could take care of business, right? Or if you have a Tesla and being able to have access to someone like Elon Musk, right? Straight to the source, taking it to the top. That's what we can do when we have issues in life. You know, we are able to go to the Father. Paul here is mentioning this for that reason, but also mentioning it because of a bigger reason. That is that we are a family as a church. It's important for us to know that. Look again in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. You know, and again, getting back to the context, Jews, Gentiles, every different race, face, don't matter what place you came from, we are a family. We are a family, and it's important for us to understand that. We have a father, we have a daddy, we have a papa. Romans chapter 8 says we can refer to him that way. And it's important for us to see the church as a family in looking at these things. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, 
that we should be called children of God. And so here in this letter, Paul's been stressing our unity. And so if you're a Christian, you're a member of the family, it doesn't matter where you come from. And my prayer is that we would see church that way. You know, I remember a while back, I was uh, talking to a young man and his mom recently died and he was having a really hard time with it, a very difficult time with it. It's been years and he still was struggling with this. And so I was talking to him about this, prayed with him, tried to encourage him in his relationship with God. And then, you know, basically I asked him, well, do you have any brothers and sisters? You know, because mom passes away, dad has passed away. I said, do you have any brothers and sisters? And he said, I don't. I don't have any brothers and sisters. Do you have any Christian friends? Oh, no, not really. And so, you know, this new guy coming to church, I just said, listen, man, in a situation like this, you really need to know that this is a family. This is what we're reading right here. And you look to the right of you, and you have brothers over here, and you have sisters over here. You know, and I don't know if you guys see church that way, but you should see that way. I didn't have any brothers and sisters growing up. And so I, you know, kind of, I think I missed that. Some of you guys are saying, well, you missed, didn't miss anything. But uh, <laughs> no, no. You want to know why? You want to know why? Because I see some brothers, I see some brothers with their brothers. I see some brothers with their sisters. I see some of these families the way it should be. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's the way it should be in the church as well. Remember when Jesus taught us to pray? He said, this is what I want you to say. Our Father, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And the thing I like about the, that, 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 that model prayer is that you find he's praying for the whole church. You know, because usually when we pray, we don't think we can pray that big, you know, praying for the whole church. But you can. You're praying for the whole church. And, you know, give us this day our daily bread. I don't think that's just about the bread and Panera. Believe you me, I think it's more than that. I think it is him providing for us, but I think it's much more than that. Lord, speak to us. It's the manna from heaven. Give us today our daily bread and lead us not into temptation. Do you pray that? Because if you prayed that, maybe you wouldn't have entered into that specific temptation. Maybe not, but I will say this, that that's the way we have to pray. And as we're praying, you know, deliver us from evil, those types of things. We're praying for the whole church because we're praying for our family. You got brothers, you got sisters, you got uncles. Some of you guys are a little older. Hey, Theo, you got aunts, you got grandpas, you got grandmas. We need to see the church that way. And this is what Paul is, is just, just, man, he's just taking advantage of this. And it's a blessing to see how he prays on his knees to whom Paul prays, that is the Father. But then he gets into what he prays for in verse 16. Notice it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Paul asks God to strengthen the Ephesians to strengthen the people. And we can pray this prayer for our loved ones. I like the way he gets specific in this request that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. Now, let's just say you knew a billionaire. Any of you guys billionaires? I'm just curious. No, I'm just joking. 
So you knew a billionaire, and let's just say he gave you $10. If that billionaire gives you $10, then he's given you from his riches. But if that billionaire gives you a million dollars, then he gives you according to his riches. And that's the way it is with the strength of God. You, know, you might think, well, yeah, just you know, a little strength, and yeah, I'm sure God will provide this and that so I can kind of squeak on by through life and you know, you know, nothing you know, horrible will happen. And God says, oh, no, that's not how it is. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give your loved one power if you pray. I'm going to give them this power according to this glorious riches that God has. And they're not just going to squeak by. They're going to fly. Why? Because you pray. And this is what we see for us. It's so important to have this in our heart. You know, when I think of this power, how rich we are, we find that it's the dominant theme in the book of Ephesians. I don't know if you know how rich you are. Uh, some of you are thinking, no, I'm not poor. I mean, I'm not rich. I don't got much in my bank account. But, you know, if, uh, Warren Wisby, when he wrote his commentary in the book of Ephesians, you know what he called it? He said, be rich. Be rich, because that's the summary of this book. In other words, be what you are. We have to understand the riches that we have and the way we can draw strength from the account of the Almighty. You know, in looking at this, um, there might be something radical for some of you guys to realize because normally we don't pray this way. Normally we pray things like, oh Lord, take away their trials, take away their troubles, make the demons depart, pull them out of the pits, Lord, take them out of the fire. And understandable that you guys would pray that way because we have compassion. But here God doesn't say, you know, make the load lighter. God says, make their backs stronger. God, give them strength. You know, when Goliath was intimidating the Jewish soldiers every day for 40 days, there they were and they were paralyzed. They were shaken in their boots. They were already defeated. But, you know, God didn't take the giant away. No, he just brought David to slay the giant. He didn't make Goliath disappear. He gave a young man strength and he took away his fear. See, that's what God wants to do, that in all these things, in all these things, in that trial, you will triumph. And God will use that as a testimony. This is what our loved ones need. You know, because if not, who's praying for them? If they don't have that strength, consider the alternative what ends up happening is our children, or our friends, or our loved ones, or whatever it might be that's heavy on your heart, they end up living life on their own strength. And they'll never make it because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We wrestle against our broken bodies, against this fallen world. If we live life on our own strength, we will be frustrated and we will be defeated. You know, when I was, I was thinking about this and I remember a while back, my daughter asked me to um, do some work in her room to kind of like remodel the whole room. I think she had seen something in a magazine and she wanted her whole room to be white. We pulled out the carpet and she wanted me to lay down some flooring. But it wasn't, you know, the normal laminate or, or whatever. She wanted me to actually, you know, take wood strips and to just screw them all in. And so I had to you know, go to Home Depot and, um, you know, buy the, the plywood. And first we laid down the foundation. And then on top of that, we had to take the plywood and we had to cut it up in all these strips of wood. And then we had to, you know, screw it down. And they had to go deep 
into the, the foundational structure of the house so that the, the wood you know, wouldn't you know, squeak and stuff. And so it, it was an interesting process. Some of you guys have done similar projects like that, but imagine if I had to do that project with just hand tools. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. You get the fig plywood and you're, if you have to do it all by hand. Imagine if you had to do it all by hand. It wouldn't work. It'd be crooked. And by the time I, I wouldn't even get done, I would have been, I would have quit. Imagine if I had to take all the screws and do them all in by hand with just my strength. It wouldn't work. I would have quit. I wouldn't have made it. It wouldn't have been done. My daughter wouldn't have been blessed. But what ends up happening is, man, we get a table saw. Ooh, yeah, now you're talking, man. And you get that plywood, zzz, and it just goes right through it like butter. And then you get the, you know, the, 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 the power drill, man, zzz, zzz, and you're able to go in like that. See, that's the difference. I'm telling you guys, one way is your own strength. One way you will never accomplish what God has called us to, but the other way is God's power. And that's all he's praying right here is, Lord, I'm praying that you would bless this church with this power. These two Greek words right here mean to be prevail by God's dominating strength. It's another word is where we get our word dynamite from. You know, dynamite, if you think about it, was among these new explosives. It was a, a, a chemical stabilized form of nitroglycerin invented in 1867 by Alfred Nobel, 1,000 times more powerful than the black powder of the day. And they used it, man, to build roads and to you know, open up tunnels and canals and other construction projects. And that's what God will do with this dunamis, this dynamite power. And so Paul is praying for them. First prayer for enlightenment. Do you see the power of God inside of you? Do you see it? Enlightenment. Second question, are you living with this power of God, this enablement? Christians, this is what Ephesians is all about. As he gets into chapter 4 and he's talking about your walk and talking about your marriage and talking about wrestling with demons, he doesn't go there until first he establishes this fact of who we are in Christ. I've always loved Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, this whole strength, if you'll notice right here in verse 16, is something that takes place in the inner man. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit, where? In the inner man. And that inner man is a spiritual part of you. You know, that's the one that you need to focus on. Some of you guys here, and you know, it's a, to a certain extent, it's okay. We're, we're, we're taking care of the outer man, right? And how many of you guys, you go to the gym? Well, not many of you, but you know, a couple of you. <laughs> you know, we kind of watch our diet. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but in the United States of America... Americans spend $300 million on clothes every day. Every day, $300 million. Now, thank God my, my, my daughter dressed me, and so she helps me. You know, you get these gift cards and stuff, and otherwise, you know what? I ended up wearing the same thing. But, but a lot of times, you know, you have these individuals, and they're, it's all about the outside. It's all about the external and, and, you know, what we find is that the Lord says, no, it's the inner man that needs to be strong. You know, you go two hours to the gym, but you spend two hours in the Word. 
I mean, two minutes in the Word. You spend, you know, an hour in front of the, ma- in the mirror of putting on your makeup. And I understand, girls, I'm not trying to, you know, come down on you and stuff, but you don't really need it that much because you're already, you've got the natural beauty that God's given to you. But all I'm saying is this, how much time do you spend in the Word? How, many time, how much time do you spend in prayer? It's the inner man. Even Peter, in writing in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, he says, you want to bless your husbands? Let it be the inner beauty, not the outer beauty. Now, don't get me wrong, girls. Still, you know, take care of yourself. <laughs> take care of yourself. But understand, primarily, it has to be that inner person, that inner person that needs to be strong. Paul said in Romans seven twenty two, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. You know, that inward man. You know, in 2 Corinthians 4, 16, because you might be here and you might not be doing good physically, but maybe you're doing good spiritually. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. The inward man is being renewed day by day. And so Paul here, he, he prays on his knees. He prays to the Father. He, number one, for strength. Number two, uh, that Christ, it says in verse 17, may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, one of the things you'll notice about in reading this text is that they're going to build upon each other. I want them to be strong so that when Christ comes and lives in their heart, he would feel at home in their heart. And they're all going to build upon each other because Christ won't feel at home in your heart if you don't have the spiritual victory. Imagine someone comes over your house and you, you know, you do your best maybe to try to make them feel welcome. Hey, mi casa, su casa, you know, make yourself at home. And so they come in and it's kind of cool. Sometimes we have friends like that. They come over, they open up the refrigerator. Doesn't that make you feel good? <laughs> Doesn't that make you feel good? I know it does to me. I'm like, okay, good. They feel comfortable. They can take off their shoes. You know, they can change, you know, you're watching something. They change the channel, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> You know, or, you know, imagine if you had a friend and you made them feel so at home in your house that they started moving the furniture. Imagine <laughs> that. Or they're like, hey, you know what? I don't like your, you know, your flooring or your carpet or whatever. And that, that, what he's saying is that's what I want Christ to do. Listen, if you're a Christian, according to 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Christ already lives in you. That's not the question. The question is, does he feel at home in your heart? The word right here, kataiokio, it means to settle down in a dwelling. It means to make someone feel home, feel at home in your heart. And that's what we want Christ to do in our life. You come to church, you're one person. What type of person are you at home? We want to live a life so there's successful, there's faithfulness, so that Christ may feel at home in your heart. And that's very important. There's a really cool little pamphlet. It's a little booklet, actually. It's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And if you ever get a chance to purchase it, I think they have it on Amazon in different places. I encourage you to, to pick it up because it has a story. And I'm going to tell you guys the whole story, but it's okay. I won't tell it as good as the book does. But basically what ends up happening is Christ comes and he lives in this guy's house. And, you know, he starts, you know, like, hey, thanks for welcoming me into your house. This is what happens when you become a Christian. The Lord comes and lives inside of you, right? And then Christ comes to your refrigerator and he says, oh, man, I noticed you got some beers in here you know what? You don't need that. Just be you. You don't need to be high on that. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. 
And so you're like, okay, Lord, and you get rid of the beer. Oh, yeah, you got some drugs right there. Hey, you don't need that. You know what? Get rid of it. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. He comes over here to your library or whatever where you got your magazines are, the dirty magazines, and he says, you know what? You don't need that. It'll ruin you, man. It's bondage. It's satanic. Get rid of the pornography. And then, you know, just the things that you're watching on TV, and he's just cleaning house, and it's just so cool. That's what God does in our life, right? But then in the book, it's kind of interesting because then one day, the Lord notices there's a smell in the house. He's all, oh, something smells, right? And so he starts walking closer and closer, and then he walks down the closet, I mean, the, the hallway, and there's a little closet right there, and he says, it's something in there. There's something in there that smells really bad. It's a stench. It's, it's, it doesn't belong. It's rotten. And, and then, you know, it's interesting. In the book, here's a spoiler alert, okay? In the book, the guy goes, no. He's like, no, that's enough. I've given you my, my, my kitchen, and I've given you my television, and I've given you my, my library, and I've given you my house. This is all I have left. This is it, just this little four-by-four four, you know, cupboard right here, and I want to hold on to it. It's that sin that, that they want to hold on to. And then so the Lord just simply says, listen, we can't have fellowship with that in your life. And so, again, it, it's amazing to me looking at this because what ends up happening is the Lord says, listen, I want to give you power so you can get rid of all that stuff that's only going to ruin you so that we can have this fellowship and I can settle down and I can live in your life. I can live in your heart. Jesus wants to live in your life. That's all he's saying right here. There's an interesting passage in Revelation 3, verse 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, normally when we hear that passage, we normally think of it as Jesus standing outside the house. And, and maybe it is him standing outside of the house. But again, like I said earlier, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, if you're a Christian, Christ lives in you. So what's that? What is he knock, What door is he knocking on? You know what I think he's knocking on? I think he's knocking on the door where you dine. It's like, you know, you can picture that place where the most intimate fellowship, you know, the most wonderful, I love being, eating with my family. I love it. Turn off the television. We get the opportunity to talk. And the Lord says, listen, I want to come into your dining room. Can I come in? Will you let me in? And you know, it's so cool. If we open up the door, then Jesus comes in and we have this fellowship. Do you realize how that will change your life? Do you realize that's what we're missing? You know, we're so busy, we're so religious, and we don't really have that personal one-on-one fellowship with, with Jesus, and this is what Paul is praying for. God, give them strength so that Christ would settle down and feel at home in their heart. And then the next thing, it builds upon that. It says in verse 17, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. You know, Paul loves the church. Paul loves the people. And he wants them to get rooted, and he wants them to get grounded. He doesn't want them to be fragile. He doesn't want them to be so vulnerable. Sometimes what ends up happening in the church is the smallest little thing will trigger this drama, and the next thing you know, you're wondering if this disciple is going to walk with Christ anymore because of something that happened. How can that possibly be? You want to know how? Because they're not rooted and they're not grounded. 
And Paul here is praying, oh, Lord, give them strength so that they can fellowship with Jesus. Because I know, Lord, if they know him, they're going to know his love and nothing is going to sway them, no matter what life throws their way. Now, some people find themselves as fledgling, fragile Christians, and the smallest thing might trigger them. So Paul prays for his strength, God's strength. He prays for this home, that God would have this home. He prays for this love. And there might be some of you out there who find it easy to believe that Jesus died for you. Oh, yeah, he died for me. Oh, yeah, he rose again. You believe that, right? But you can't fathom the thought that he actually loves you. You know, there might be some of you out there who who believe, well, yeah, he rose again, but after my last failure, I can't believe that he would love me again. And he does. Let me just tell you, he does. His love is long-suffering. I don't care what you've done. He loves you. That's why you're here. That's why someone, whoever's watching online, that's why you're watching. It's because he loves you. You're here, and you may think, no, it was me, and I made my decision. No, God brought you here because he loves you. He invited you, and he drew you here because he loves you. And for us, this is so important because this is how we get rooted and grounded. This is why we need strength to live that life that's sincere so that Christ finds his home in our heart. And when that happens, we have fellowship and we're going to discover his love for us. I don't know if you ever met someone like that. You know, of course, there's no one like Jesus himself. But it's so cool when you find people who have that love. And that's changing. That changes us. This is how we get rooted and grounded. Matthew 13, 6 says, But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they, they withered away. And so this is not just any love. This is the love of Christ. And he mentions right here that they would know, they will comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You know, sometimes I look at my wife and I and I'm like, man, I can't believe that we've been a Christian for over 30 years. Lord, how, how is it that we never backslid? Lord, how is it, Lord, that we were able to stay on track? And I know it's because of the fact that, you know, that day when I gave my life to Christ, I was looking for love. And I found it. And he has never let me go. That's his love. Have I failed? Oh, yeah. Have I blown it? Frequently. I mean, I don't pray the way I should. I don't read the Bible the way I should. I don't do anything the way I should. Every single time I pray, I always pray, God, forgive me for failing you in every title I possess as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a friend, as a pastor. I'm telling you guys, I know... I have sinned, but I know he loves me. You, you got to have that. He's long-suffering and compassionate. You know, his love is everlasting. And I believe with all my heart that that love is what has sustained us all these years. That love needs to sink in in order that we might live this life that he has for us. And when that begins to happen, think about it, you guys. Think about it if you would building upon one another. There you are, you're praying for your loved one. God, give them strength according to your riches. We're talking about some God strength. Give them strength, Lord, so that Christ may dwell in their hearts and settle down in their lives 
so that, Lord, they would then be able to have this life in which they would then ultimately be filled with the Holy Spirit. We read that there in verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And now we're talking about something that's just overflowing, you guys. And that's the type of life that God wants us to live. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to bring any bad memories to you, but, you know, sometimes it's probably good to think about certain things. Some of you guys might remember when you were drunk, before you were a Christian, and what you would do when you would get drunk. I remember my dad, he would uh, drink a lot. And I remember, you know, my dad was a pretty mellow guy. I mean, he was, he was like me. He was kind of chill, you know. And, um, but when he drank, for whatever reason, it made him violent. And next thing you know, man, he's in fights. And I saw my dad do that a lot. It was, he was a different man. He was totally different. Some fights he won, many fights he lost. I saw that. I saw what alcohol did and then what it did to me. And I won't even, I mean, I did some dumb things. Something I could share with you is we used to steal stop signs. How dumb is that? But when you're drunk, you're different, right? And so Paul there, he says, don't be drunk with wine in which is a wasted life, but be drunk or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Because then that makes you a different person, huh? And that's all he's saying right here. This life, is an amazing life. And I don't know if you guys know, it's available to you. Supernatural life is available to you. But we don't walk in our own strength. We walk in God's strength. And when this happens, it's amazing the way that it builds upon each other and the way that we can pray this for our loved ones. When it happens, Paul here concludes in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Notice right there, it works in us, okay? Because some might be thinking, well, yeah, if God gets a hold of me, then I might be this, you know, great Billy Graham, and I'm going to build this big church, and I'm going to do this, whatever, these great things. And God say, no, it's not really about that It's about not just the work through you. It's not really about that. It's the work in you. What I will do in you, what kind of man, woman change it'll be, you'll be different. And so it's so cool that we ask and think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And it's so cool because Paul here, he says, and when this happens, God gets all the glory. You know, maybe you know someone, you're such a, they're such a godly person, and next thing you know, you start worshiping them. Stop it. Stop it. To God be the glory. Amen? Or that girl, oh, she's so amazing, and you, you know, you're so enamored with her. No. Paul here says when this happens, is to God be the glory, and it's such an amazing thing that he says something you would have never even thought of praying for, something that you would have never asked, God is going to exceed your greatest expectations. This is interesting because in the Greek language right here where it says to do exceedingly abundantly above, in the Greek language, it's what's called a contrast emphasis. 
And it means it's something you would never, 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 ever ask or think. But it's something that God has for your loved one. And so I don't know if you guys know this, but man, to me, my encouragement to you as we're getting ready to go to Israel, um, pray. Let's become a praying church. If possible, on your knees, praying to the Father, going to the bottom, going to the top, asking God to give strength to your loved ones, asking God that Jesus would dwell in their hearts, settle down there, asking God that he would root them and ground them in love because they all build upon each other. And then what ends up happening is it overflows from there and it just becomes this amazing thing. God will do that work if we ask. And I always think about that time when, you know, we're going through the book of Genesis and I don't know if you guys have read the story about, you know, Jacob and Joseph. And you guys might remember the story in which uh, Joseph was sold into slavery and, you know, um, Jacob was heartbroken over that because that was his son uh, of, his, of his youth and it was the son of, of Rachel. And, you know, he loved him. He was probably his favorite. He had this coat of many colors and he was sold into slavery. And next thing you know, um, he's there, a slave at Potiphar's house. But he holds to his integrity and he continues to serve God even through the difficult times. God was with him. And then one day when he gets tempted to go into sexual sin, Something he probably could have gone away with, he didn't. He held to his integrity and he fled. And then that resulted in him being incarcerated, going to prison for two years. And so for 13 years, it was horrible, but Joseph held to his faith. And then next thing you know, I mean, you would have never thought, but then there's these dreams. Uh, Joseph knows that interpretations belong to God. He's always, always, always giving the glory to God, never to himself, never lost his faith. He believed in God. And then one day when he got to stand before Pharaoh, you guys remember what happened, right? There he was, and God just exalted him to the second most powerful position on planet Earth. Now, who would have ever thought that something like that could happen? Beyond what he would ever asked or thought, Jacob could have never prayed that prayer. But it's so amazing because then as you see everything unfold and then the brothers come and they're getting grain. Some of you guys know the story. Then, uh, you know, Joseph sends them back to their, their father, Jacob, and he tells them, you guys can't see me again unless you bring Benjamin. And so, you know, Jacob is vacillating on this. He doesn't think he can send his son Benjamin to them, but eventually he does. But do you remember what Jacob said? If you read the story there, Jacob said in the book of Genesis, all these things are against me. All these things are against me. He couldn't have been more wrong because all these things were for him. And eventually what ends up happening is he does and goes and he, you know, he goes back to Egypt. And I love what the Bible says in Genesis 48, 11. Then Jacob said to Joseph, I never thought I would see your face again. But now God has let me see your children too. You see, and you guys, I'm not just, you know, blowing wind. This is true for you. And so my prayer is that we would be a church that prays like this. Memorize these verses. Read it over and over again. Pray it for your children. Pray it for your loved ones. And as that strength is directed your way today, I believe with all my heart that the Holy Spirit is here to give you power. Receive. Receive Jesus. Receive His power.